You may be seated. Pretty cool stuff. Um, obviously, this whole weekend weighs heavy on our hearts if we are close to people that we've lost uh, that have served in the military. Um, just a cool thing about that video, if you didn't catch it, almost everything, not almost everything, actually everything in that video was right around our local area here. Um, when you're a homeschool dad and you have homeschool students at home, you can kind of hit two birds with one stone. So a couple weeks ago, um, my kids and I went out and we visited many uh, cemeteries throughout the area here. And just really, it was awesome to see uh, the just the amount of memorials uh, that are out there. And we didn't have to drive 200 miles. Um, you know, you saw Pine Grove right down the road here. Uh, they have quite a bit of stuff there, War Memorial Park. So I just encourage you, um, if you don't get a chance to get out today, maybe get out tomorrow on actual Memorial Day, uh, just to visit some of these places. There is a lot of good stuff out there uh, right in our own backyard. In fact, tomorrow morning um, at 10 o'clock, there will be a service uh, right in Pine Grove Cemetery. So if you need a place to go, want a place to go for that, tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. Um, we are the backup site uh, if there's ever a weather event for that service. However, in 26 years, I think they've only ever had to use our building one time. Uh, so they've been blessed with very good weather. Um, and I know, I know what Memorial Day is about. And so I'm not going to take a moment today to recognize those that are actively serving. But I just want to encourage you, you have 364 other days to thank uh, those who are currently serving or thank uh, veterans. Uh, so just encourage you to do that. So that was a pretty long introduction, but where are we heading today? Uh, that is an excellent question. As you know, we've been in this series talking about sacrifice. I've titled this message today, Sustained Sacrifice. You're like, what does that mean? Well, the title's there, but we're going to move around a little bit around the title today. Um, so if you have your Bibles, whether it's in a phone, tablet, or paper mode, uh, you can turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. Uh, when you get there, you're going to see a very familiar story, but hopefully we can pull some things out of it today that, that we might not have seen before. Um, as I said, we've been in this mode of sacrifice, talking about sacrifice. If you remember, Eric came uh, week one. He talked to us about uncomfortable sacrifice. Last week, Rich talked to us about the sacrificial seed. Um, so those guys, one of them being a Marine and one of them being a history buff, I was by far the least likely, uh, the least qualified to talk today about Memorial Day stuff. But here we go. You're stuck with me today. <laughs> Just wanted to share some stats with you. Um, I, I found these troubling uh, when I looked them up, and maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't know, but as a nation, the good old USA where we live, statistically speaking, we've only been at peace for less than 20 years, for less than, as a nation, if you added up all the times of peace that we've been at as a nation, not in a conflict, it only adds up to like 18 years. I found that very, very drastic. Now, you could argue that there's domestic violence going on and there's never going to actually be true peace until Jesus returns. I, I get that. 
But as far as offshore conflicts, wars, it's been less than 20 years. Between 7 and 8% of our existence, so we've been a nation a little less than 250 years, about 7.2% of our existence has been peaceful times. Nearly one quarter of Americans have never seen their country at a time of peace. The last time we were actually at peace was right around the year 2000. There was a 1997 break in there as well as a year 2000 break. There are 105 recorded conflicts in our almost 250-year existence as a, as a nation. And we're currently involved with some conflicts in the Middle East. They might not be advertised, highlighted wars like what we saw in the video, but they're still conflicts. So we know as Christians, there is a time for war and there is a time for peace, right? We, lead, we read that in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, there is a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. But just because there is a time for war, it doesn't mean we have to stay in that place. We've definitely had a few years of constant battles. Would anybody agree with that? We've seen political battles. We've seen ethic value battles. We've seen all these battles all around us. And it seems like we've just been in this constant fight mode. It's like when we wake up, we have to expect almost that we're going to be in some kind of fight today because that's been our existence. That's been our culture for the last couple years. So I think we have to ask ourselves this question, is peace even possible? Have we become so accustomed to living with anxiety that we can't allow ourselves to experience true peace? As a country, thank you, Jesus, we aren't stuck in World War I, right? We went to battle. We were a part of that battle, that war as a nation, but it ended. The Treaty of Versailles was signed, and thank you, God, we're not stuck in World War I, right? As a nation, we came out of that war, and we moved into a time of peace, but what is our battle as Christians? We've read this verse many times this year, but I just wanted to highlight this one before we get to our content today. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the rulers of darkness, of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We know that there's a spiritual battle at hand. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt we are in a with spiritual forces. We get that. But even in this battle that we're in, we need to understand what it is. And then we need to go a step further and say, how are we going to do this? What is our strategy for moving into this time of battle? If we're not in a time of peace, we are in a time of battle. We have to have some good how-tos as to what to do. We don't want to get stuck in fear mode. We don't want to get stuck in survival mode, in that mode where we're always expecting a fight. Where, like I said, where we wake up and just expect that we're going to go out to battle today. We need times of peace built in there. Just like as a nation, we've had times of peace.
I like this quote. It says, we want to be spirit-led, not survival-led. If we're stuck in survival mode, we can't step into our full potential that God's called us to be. Our fellowship is stepping into our 30th uh, year, 30th birthday this year. And if you've been around here long enough, you've known we've gone through times where it seems like it's a survival, where it might have been a fight-or-flight mode. But thank God we're not stuck in those times, and we can move forward into a time of peace and into a time of a healthier place. So how do we get there? Right? This is one of our questions. How do we get out of the battle mode and into a mode of peace? Two things that I thought of I wanted to share with you this morning. The first thing, hopefully today, you know that you feel safe. If you don't feel safe, you're never going to move into a place of peace. Now, what do I mean by that? No matter how you came in today, hopefully you, you feel safe, but also that you know it. You know there's people here that love you. You know the presence of God is here. You know that those around you are going to take care of you and look out for you. This is our family, right? I, I realize we're missing some people today as you look around. But this is our family. This is our church family. This is a safe place to come and to learn. It's a place where the Spirit of the Lord reigns and the presence of the Lord is great. It's kind of like coming home. And hopefully when you come in, there's a warm food, there's heat, you know, all those things that make us feel comfortable and safe. So I think that's one of the keys to getting to a place of peace. The second thing is surrender. Almost all of those battles that we saw highlighted there in that video, I shouldn't say almost because they're all over now, all of them ended with some kind of resolve, some kind of surrender. There was like a peace treaty signed or one country said, hey, we're giving up. We're not going to keep bombarding this country. There was a resolve to it. They all had a start time. They all had an end point, an end point where there was no more fighting. Surrender brings peace. Surrender brings peace. It's the same within our spirits. It's the when we surrender all of us, not just part of us, but all of us, we come to that place of peace, and we need peace. We cannot get stuck in battle mode. We need times of peace. Obviously, there's different battles. Sometimes we're faced with a surprise attack. How many of you remember December 7th, 1941? One of the worst days in our country's life, in our existence. It was a surprise attack. Just came out of nowhere. And about 2,400 lives were lost on a Sunday, sunny Sunday morning just like today. Just came out of nowhere. Sometimes we get attacked like that spiritually. An attack comes on that we're not expecting. We get faced with things that we weren't ready for. So what is our strategy? How do we approach these battles, whether they planned 
whether the battle came to us or whether it was an attack. Today we're going to look at one of the most famous battles, the most well-known battles in, I would say, world history. Not just American history. Obviously, this battle didn't take place in America, but it's a very well-known battle. If you walk up to a non-believer, there can probably recite you some of the story of David and Goliath. I want to highlight some of the strategy uh, that David used when he entered into this battle. The whole chapter, all 58 verses, are all about this, this battle that was taking place. And the, the Israel army, they were stuck. They were in a battle, but they weren't really fighting. They weren't really surrendering. They were just kind of in the middle. They were stuck in this place of, do we go out and fight? Well, no, we're too scared. Do we go home? No, we know we're not supposed to surrender. But they were stuck in this battle. And no one wanted to fight this battle. No one wanted to take on the Philistine. The nine feet tall Goliath, as we know. So look at verse um, 26. I think we have it there, Isaac. There we go. 26 says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? David knew his identity. We sang about it this morning. I am who you say I am. David wasn't scared. But he started mapping out his own strategy into how are we going to defeat this guy? How are we going to win this battle? He had a whole camp of, of Israeli army that were just too scared to go out. But he knew. He knew the living God. He knew that it wasn't his time to go. Right, Nate? The devil couldn't take him out. How are we going to do this? So he started asking questions. Look at verse 28. In 28, David begins to be criticized by his own brothers who were there fighting the battle. I'll probably butcher this name up. I believe it's Elihab. Now, Elihab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Elihab's anger burned against David and said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left these sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. Even though David knew his identity and he knew part of his strategy, he hadn't been fully given the whole strategy yet, he was already starting to be criticized by those around him, even his own brothers. Like, dude, why are you here? You're like the youngest one. You're supposed to be with the sheep. Just go back home. I have two younger brothers, so I can kind of relate to this. Like, dude, go back home. <laughs> he turns to a whole nother group of people, some more soldiers that were fighting. And he started asking the same questions, trying to put together this whole strategy. And basically, he got the same answers. So by now in the story, 
The word that David is in the camp, and he's asking these questions, has spread all the way to Saul. Saul's the king here, right? So Saul sends for David, and he says, David, come on into my tent. Let's talk about this battle strategy of yours. We know that David had been prepared for this battle for a long time. This wasn't, it might have been a surprise to him that no one was fighting the giant, but for him in his heart, he was being prepared for this for a long time. Even in the fields of his shepherding days, he was not only fighting small battles, he was winning those battles. Okay, you can fight and fight and fight a battle, but there's a difference between fighting one and then fighting one and winning it. He was already conquering and winning those small battles. So he was getting prepared for the big battle with Goliath. His mind and his body was being trained for a bigger battle, but he needed to win those smaller ones first. David didn't get stuck in battle mode. David often would pull his Fender electric, where's my guitar players? I, I think David had electric guitar, don't you? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Les Paul, what do you say there, Steve? I can't even find him. Anyway, there he is. What do you say, 1964 or something? Jim there we go. Of course, David took time out for peace in between his battles. We know that David wrote a lot of the Psalms. He just took that time to get before the Lord and really uh, worship him. So turn over to 36. 36 and 37 talk a little bit about the preparation that David, about the preparation was facing. 36 says, your, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Whoa. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine as well. So Saul's response is like, Okay, go ahead. Talk about a sacrifice. I mean, what had to be going through the king's mind? Like, we're going to send this young boy out, fight this battle. He's going to be a sacrifice. Might have to surrender our battle. Who knows? But he said, go, and may the Lord be with you. So we're talking about strategy. Obviously, David, I believe he prayed into his strategy. Okay? He was a man after God's own heart. He spent time in the fields. He spent time in times of peace. So I absolutely believe that he prayed into his strategy. But he also looked at what he had been given. Remember when he was in the tent with Saul? And Saul's like, you need to do it this way. And you need to have this armor on. And you need to use this sword. And Saul was trying to map out a strategy for David that wasn't even David's strategy. But David looked at what was in his hand, which we know is a slingshot, 
and the stones. If you want to know your strategy today for the battle you're facing, look at what's in your hand. A lot of times we think, oh, I can't use this that God's given me because it's not spiritual enough. I'm fighting a spiritual battle. I need to hit the devil with the logos and the word and the word and the word and the word. Listen, look at what's in your hand. That's what God's given you to fight your battle that you're currently facing. If you're married, use marriage to fight your battle. Use marriage to glorify God. Use your date night that you're going to go on Friday night to spend time with your spouse, and that's how you're going to fight against the enemy. If you have kids, man, what a gift. Your kids can be used as well to fight the battle that you're in for the kingdom of God. And on that note, I just want to encourage you, fight the small battles. Everybody wants to kill the Goliath. Everybody wants to be the hero. But fight the small battles in your life. Because that's what's going to lead you to the next part. So God gave David this new, unprecedented, unpredictable strategy of we're going to go fight Goliath, not with a sword and not with armor, but with a stone. And he announced his battle to Goliath. When he went out to Goliath to fight him, he, he went right after his head, and he told him, I'm going to go after your head. It wasn't a surprise attack. He was like, look, I'm going to take you down. Look at 46. Bring that one up for us, Isaac. 46 says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. This is David talking now. And I will strike you down and remove your head from you. Bam. Talk about a battle strategy. He's like, dude, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for your head, and I'm taking it back with me. And I will give the dead bodies of the army to the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wildebeest of the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Talk about a witness. He announces a battle plan. It's basically like his own, it's like a prophecy. He's like, dude, I'm coming for you. And nothing you can do is going to stop it because why? God is with me. So, I'm going to get into a little controversial talk here, okay? When you were a kid, growing up in the church, for those of you that were, how did Goliath die? Shout it out. It's okay. Stone to the head. Good. Any other answers that we want to open Pandora's box this morning? Head cut off. Good one, Paul. Anybody else? Sword. So I asked the same question to our staff this week, and they all gave me the same answers you guys gave. So kudos to all of you. What I want to do is challenge you a little bit. Take some time this week to go back and read this whole chapter, all 58 verses, and read it in different versions. Because different versions will say different things. 
the, the version we're reading this morning is a new, a new American Standard Bible, 1995 version. This one is pretty clear about how the giant was killed. But regardless whether you're in the stone camp or the sword camp, the dude died. Okay, we know that. He was defeated. But what I want us to take away from this today is how he died. David's strategy, part of it was going after Goliath's head. Goliath was protected with armor everywhere else. He had a bronze helmet on. If you read towards the beginning of the chapter, it describes all this. He was protected everywhere else except right here. That's where David went for. That was his strategy. Now you could argue, oh, the stone stunned him and knocked him down, and then blah, 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 blah. Let's read it. Let's read 51. 51 says, Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. When the head was no longer there, literally, that's when the Philistine army fled. If you don't think the enemy was watching this, and when I say enemy, I mean the devil was watching this. If you don't think the devil was watching this and learning from what happened, you better read it again. We have a lot to learn here about the strategy of David going for the head. Just listen to me for a couple more minutes here. We have leaders to pray for. We have heads of things to pray for. We might not agree with them. We might not be all in with every decision they make, but we are called to pray for those leaders because they are the head of that thing, whether it's the church, community. I'm going to step off here and say government, right? We don't agree with everything the government's doing right now, but we're called to pray for our leaders because Satan is going after the head. He's going after the head of your house. He's going after the head of the church. He's going after the leaders. Protect the head. Pray for the head. There is so much packed into these 58 verses. But like I said, go back, reread it this week. I believe that God is going to just reveal things out to you that he's never revealed to you before in this story because this is a new season. We're in a different season reading a different story, and new revelations can come out of that. Talking about sacrifice, you say, how in the world can you pull sacrifice out of this? Well, I found five things I'd like to highlight to you. Verse 1 and 2 talk about the armies gathering for battle, both sides. A lot of sacrifice going in there. Verse 7 talks about the shield bearer that went before Goliath. Can you imagine being this guy? <laughs> I mean, talk about a sacrifice 101. Verse 13 uh, states the narrative about David's father, Jesse. Now, we know Jesse had eight sons. Three of them were already in the battle. Talk about a sacrifice of a father. Another sacrifice I found was when David had to leave the sheep. That was a big deal. Sheep were a big deal, but he had to sacrifice leaving the sheep with someone else. 
in order to go uh, to the battle. And of course, in 39, uh, Saul talks about giving David his armor and how David refused to wear it. Another sacrifice. We're going to receive communion this morning. But before we do that, I just want to tell you a little story. When I was in grade school, I had, I'm going to call it a privilege, a privilege of sitting under, uh, sitting in a concert where the Eisenhower High School jazz band would go around and they would tour the three different elementary schools. And I call it a privilege because there was some real talent in those bands and they were just really fun to listen to. And I looked up to those guys that came in and they would set up all their stuff and all the audio equipment, and it was just, it was a good day uh, when the jazz bands came to town. But one particular concert I remember, and I don't remember how old I was, but um, Nathan, uh, he was in that band, and he was going to sing a song. And being raised in the church, I had never heard the song, per se. Um, obviously, now I know it as Lee Greenwood's uh, most famous song, God Bless the USA. But being raised in the church, when he sang the song and he got to the part about the men who died, the words I heard were the man who died. I don't want to take away from the sacrifice of the men and women that served and that made an ultimate sacrifice so that we could be here today. But I also don't want us to forget the man who died and gave the right to us to be here today. So if you're going to help serve communion, I'll just come on up here at this time. Parker, you can come on up too. Jesus knew that he had been given a strategy. He knew his strategy was sacrifice. He knew how to enter into the battle of life versus death. And he knew the power of sacrifice, and he knew that was his strategy. And how his death would sustain us forever and ever. So today we're going to celebrate communion. You say, that's kind of a strange word. Well, the Bible tells us to celebrate the Lord's death until he returns. That's exactly what we're going to do today with the hope of that sacrifice and the resurrection. We're going to serve you uh, communion this morning so you can stay right where you are. Uh, there's a couple coming up to the balcony so you guys aren't forgotten about. There's also a couple uh, coming into the cafe. So uh, go ahead, guys, and, and pass these out. There's also a gluten-free option. Lori has volunteered to pass out the gluten-free option. So if you need gluten-free, just give Lori a wave this morning.
just hold your elements until everyone has been served and we will take these together this morning. just hold up our bread. We know that Jesus' body was broken for us. And that was part of the sacrifice, was the broken body. So I just wonder today if we can just take that in our hands and just break it. Just as a symbol that we recognize that Jesus' body was broken for us. We were a part of that breaking, but he wants to redeem that. So let's receive this bread today in remembrance of that. Since we're talking about sustained uh, sacrifice, this, this blood, it says in the Bible that Jesus shed his blood once that it has the power to sustain. It has sustained mankind for 2,000 years. The power of the blood to redeem. The power of the blood to renew. The power of the blood to heal. 
the power of the blood to restore, the power of the blood to set us free, to set us free from all those things that would hinder and bind and, and drag us down and keep us behind. It's the blood that sets us free. It breaks the shackles. It breaks that power of the enemy off of our lives. It gives us new hope. It gives us new life. It's the power of the blood. It'll hold you. It'll keep you all your life. It'll sustain you. It is the sustained sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood shed for each one of us for the remission of sin. Praise God. It is his blood that makes us whole. It is his blood that gives us life and life everlasting. And when we partake of this blood, what, is your, what you're saying in essence is that I agree. I pledge allegiance. I, I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that this blood will hold me. This blood will continually cleanse me. It isn't a one-time process that you receive the blood. It's a continual operation of the blood in our lives to set us free, to keep us free, to realign us. When you partake of this blood today, you're saying that I'm getting my priorities realigned. I'm putting Jesus Christ first in my life. His blood is the first thing that I need. His blood is the main thing that I need in order for me to live life and to live it more abundantly. He gave his blood so that I could have that life. And it realigns our priorities. It separates us from the world. It keeps us from being drugged down and bogged down and bound up. It gets us free in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. This is the blood of the Lamb by which we have a testimony that we are set free, that we overcome. We overcome by this blood. Hallelujah. And you say today, right now, before you take this blood, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, get yourself right, right now. <clears throat> say it in my heart. I believe that Jesus is raised from the dead, and I confess that he is my Lord. And when I partake of this blood, I'm a born-again child of God. I am now belong to him. Hallelujah. Everything, every environment of this world, anything that wants to lay claim to me, anything that wants to lay hold of me, has to loose me now and let me go because I'm receiving the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. The blood that's greater than all things, praise God. It puts my priorities back in line. Glory to God. If I've got an idol, that thing is coming down now in the name of Jesus because the blood is greater. Glory to God. The blood is greater. Glory to When you partake of this today, you're saying, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. He's my King. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my healer. He's my deliverer. This is more than just a cup of grape juice. This is the glory of God about to be released in your life to give you hope and a new freedom in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. And they're going, well, when we take it? Well, now's, now's a good time. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Denny. Let's stand together. I hope you've been encouraged this morning. I hope you've been filled with joy and hope and peace.
And I just want to pray for us. God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for the ability that we have to gather in freedom. Uh, God, we don't take that for granted. And we thank you for the sacrifice that has been made for us, not only through the women, women and men of this great country, but also through your blood and through your broken body. And God, we ask that you protect us this week. Uh, just give us a great week. Bring us back together safely. Thank you for those that are visiting with us. Bless them today as they go. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Have a great week. Be blessed. See you next time.